That is The Smiths with a track called Wonderful Woman, and that was a B-side to This Charming Man. Hello and welcome to The C86 Show. This is David Eastor, and I'll be with you for the next 60 minutes. Hello and welcome once again to another epic slice of life as I delve into the wonderful world that was the 80s indie pop scene and yes, that golden decade that was the 80s. This week we have special guest Martin Stevenson because I caught caught up with him a few months ago to find out more about life, love and poetry and all that exciting stuff. And um, yes, life on independent labels and all that murky world that is the record industry. But anyway, I'll be bringing that interview throughout the show in possibly five or six easy to digest at all segments alongside all the usual top tunes that you've come to expect. So all I want you to do is sit back, relax and enjoy the next 60 minutes. This is Boat to Bolivia. Take it away.
There you have it, all the way from the northeast. That's Prefab Sprout and a track called Don't Sing. From there, I think it was the debut album. God, he says, hopefully sounding like an expert. Yes, Swoon. And that came out in 1984 on the Kitchenware record label that we loved back in the day. And before that, we had our special guest. Yes, the one and only Martin Stevenson and the Dainties. And that's a track called Boat to Bolivia. And that's from their self-titled album that also came out around the same time on Kitchenware. So there you go. Did you get the connection? No, possibly. Anyway, this is David Eastall, the C86 show, bringing you the finest in indie pop from the golden decade. And this week, special guest is Martin Stevenson, because I caught up with him a few months ago to find out more about his life in music. So I'll be bringing that interview in quite a few, not the usual three or four, but about six different chunks. So I'll be playing it a little bit more throughout the show. But anyway, um, and that last um, track, Prefab Sprite, goes out to Richard Penguin, who is a huge Prefab Sprout fan, and um, I think he preferred Swoon over um, over Steve McQueen. I was more of a Steve McQueen fan, actually, at the time, but then I'm a bit more mainstream, I suppose. Anyway, yes, so Richard Penguin, that goes out to you. And uh, he also has a show on a future radio called Acoustic and Eclectic that goes out on a Sunday and also during the week as well, so do check that out. Anyway, keeping the party rolling, and this is an artist that I sort of uh, stumbled upon at the weekend, and it brought back um, slightly happy memories, but anyway, I thought I haven't heard this song for a long time, and this is the track that uh, introduced me to Robert Wire. This is Pigs. Well, we're driving um, driving through Wiltshire, very nice countryside, sky, ground, all that sort of thing, natural marriage of uh, natural resources. I'm looking out the window, because I don't come from that part of the world, and I said, um, what's that over there? And it was sort of, um, that sort of low, grey concrete thing. It was all surrounded by fields, really nice trees, but there was this sort of low, like a sort of a large square of concrete, like the foundation to a building that hadn't been built. But it had little walls, a little, about a foot high or something, would look like that, maybe two foot high, two or three foot high. And in fact, it was a sort of, the top of it, in a with a sort of flat roof. And I, I thought, oh, I see. And then um, I pointed as a car got past it. I said, uh, what was what was that? And the um, the uh, country person who was with me uh, said, oh, um, that's where they keep pigs. And I thought, oh, yes, I see. That's where they keep pigs. And the sun was shining down and uh, grass was green and it was all very lovely driving the country and I suddenly uh, thought that what that building must have been like from the inside um, pigs in there pigs to me 
There you have it. That is uh, This Mortal Coil covering Tim Buckley's track, Songs to a Siren. And in a few weeks' time, hopefully, I'll be having a Copto Twins special for this show because I caught up with one of the members recently. I have got a bit of a backlog. And um, before that, we had the unmistakable sound of Robert Wyatt and Pigs in there, which was probably the first time I'd ever heard of a track from Robert Wyatt. I might be lying, actually. It might have been... Um, the monkey song that he covered on The Believer. But anyway, I preserved that one because I thought that was kind of deep and meaningful and that's what we loved about the 80s. Anyway, this is David Eastall on The C86 Show. And if you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 Show and I'll be there. And like I said, this week's special guest is Martin Stevenson of The Dainties. And um, so what I'm going to do, because I've got quite a bit of the interview, is play another track from... Yes, I'm Mr. Predictable, aren't I? Boat to Bolivia. This is Crocodile, Crocodile Cryer. And then I'll play the first part of the interview.
There you go, a bit of pop for fi- pop fiction there. That's Martin Stevenson and the Dainties and the track called Crocodile Cry, which was the opening track to his 1986 album Boat to Bolivia. Hello, this is David Esau on the C86 show with the Martin Stevenson special for this week. And uh, this is the first part of the interview with Martin, where we talk about all things, and bizarrely, about table tennis. So there you go, you didn't see that one coming, did you? So anyway, the music business, take it away, Martin. After being on a record label, you had Banana Rama, and uh, <laughs> you know, and I felt like the '80s for me. I just felt like out of it. I was a table tennis player, and I thought like a table tennis player. I found the music business so competitive and bitchy, and and I just felt out of place. And uh, I've always liked sports people actually, because I know they're not as cool. But they're less pretentious in some ways, you know. Sports people like I don't know, like table tennis players, and yes, even yeah. bloody golfers. You know, there's a lot of subtle bullying goes on in them circles. Not everybody, but sometimes the hippies. You know, it's like what's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine. It's like a lot of them are bloody fascists in disguise. You know. <laughs> well, I kind of realised that there's an awful lot of people who wanted to take but not give and then you know, exactly. and, and that was kind of like but they make a big political thing about doing that as well saying no you know it's all good that we share and you think and yeah but after a while you think but i'm doing the sharing and you're just exactly. doing the taking which is uh, and, a lot of people will take uh, i find our music you know yes they'll attach themselves to things i know to better their career or whatever they want to do and i've always had a like, I remember in the 80s, I was asked to join Red Wedge. And, I mean, I love the Labour Party. And I'm a, I'm a, you know, my dad was a miner. I've got, I love work-class people. I mean, I love all kinds of people, you know. Yes. But but um, I wouldn't join. And I got a really bad time for that. Right. And I remember from 1982 to 1992, all the kitchenware bands, we paid Amnesty International, I think it was 150 quid a month. For ten years, and we did the same with Greenpeace, and they never even said thanks when, like you know, when we couldn't manage anymore. Right. There wasn't that's... even a thanks or no, you know. In fact, Amnesty National were quite obnoxious, you know. I thought, oh well. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I can remember the the 80s. I mean, that was kind of, I suppose, you know, it wasn't quite my decade because I suppose I, I remember the 70s as well. But the 80s were the period when I certainly, certainly got into, I suppose, John Peel and NME. And obviously Red Wedge was well in there, wasn't it? And, yeah. Um, and the indie labels and the C86 stuff. And obviously, listen to John Peel and also a bit of Andy Kershaw. That's when I first came across you when you released your album, Boat to Bolivia. So uh-huh. how, how did that sort of come together, that particular album? Because obviously that got a huge amount of acclaim and airplay, didn't it? It's strange because, uh, I mean, we signed the Kitchenware in 1982 and we were just like a little busking band. In fact, you know, we were into the microcosmic. We thought the smaller you were, the better you, you were. So, like, if you turned around and said to somebody, how many records have you sold? And they said 10. And you said, aha. We haven't sold any. <laughs> <laughs> we would actually be stupid enough to think that was great, good, you know. We we'll yes. had this like reverse, reverse awareness. Yeah, well, I think the opposite to like careerist. Indeed, but that was the eighties for you. Anyway, that's the part of first part of my interview with Martin Stevenson, where we talk about table tennis and the murky world that was the record industry. Anyway on with the music and I realised that Robert Forster from the Go-Betweens has been in the country promoting his new book and so I thought feeling all about the Go-Betweens we should play at least one track by them in the show this is Love Goes On There's a cat in my alleyway Dreaming of birds that are blue Sometimes go when I'm lonely This is how I think about you There are times that I want you I want you so much I could bust I know a thing about lovers Lovers lie down in trust Love goes on anyway Love goes on Dog got their problems They got things they can't name And I know a thing about lovers Lovers don't feel any shame Late at night when the light's down low The candle burns to the end I know a thing about darkness Darkness ain't my friend Love goes on anyway I'm gonna spin you around I'm gonna cut your string There you go, that's the go-betweens and the track called Love Goes On from their album that came out, I think, in 88, um, 16 Lovers Lane, and a bit of a classic. And also, if you get a chance, the Robert Forster book that's just come out that he's written is very good and quite interesting, so there you go. And he's been in the country promoting it, little cheeky chap he is. Anyway, this is David Eastall, this is the C86 Show, and this is the second part of my interview with Martin Stevenson, where we talk about <gasps> exciting things, kitchenware records, take it away.
It's what we started. I remember I went through like New Year. I'm probably similar age to you, David. How old are you now? 53. I'm 55. Right. So <laughs> you're younger than me, David. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I went through punk and all that, you know, and I, like from 11 year old, I had a great apprenticeship. I was a table tennis protege and I, my coach was a Jim Morrison nut. Right. And he was also a Buddhist and a, he was a, f- a really original thinker, you know. He was an amazing guy. He's only 27 and when I was 11, he was my best mate. Right. Uh, I, I played all over with him. I travelled, so it was like being on the road. And he was so funny and observant. He was like Elliot Gould crossed for Captain Beefheart, you know. Fantastic. That's quite, a, but, that's quite a role model to have in life. I was very blessed to have him because he would walk in my house where my dad would like be Alf Carnage. Sitting in the chair, bleating shite, you know, and the mother would be like pottering around. He would just walk in and he would just not see any of the eggshells. And he would sit there and he was a Sunderland supporter. My dad was a Newcastle supporter. But it was really good medicine for me to just like all those kind of boundaries, just like getting saved. Like, Man, don't be frightened of this guy. He's, he's, he's all right, but he's not, you know, don't let him bully you, you know. Yes. And, and, he, and he also taught me. I mean, about music, like Neil, I was listening to Neil Young, the Incredible String Band, 11-year-old. He gave us a great apprenticeship. And that actually was a sale for my boat when I went into the music industry because I, I came out of table tennis when I was 15. I retired from table tennis. Right. I, your your life uh, was nearly over at the age of 15. Uh, that was it. It was and As soon as I hit punk, that, that was it. I transferred from a table tennis player to a punk. And yes. uh, music took over. And, and that uh, was it. Yeah. And how did you, I mean, getting your band together? And obviously it's quite interesting because during the 80s, probably calling yourself the Dainties, I can't, you know, I can't work out if that would have gone down well or not really. I mean, I didn't mind it. And I remember sort of thinking, actually, Boat to Bolivia, classic album. But I mean, was was naming of your backing band, did that go well with the band? Well, we thought nice is the new nasty. Right. Because after coming out of punk, everything was nasty. I mean, people spitting on you and you're on stage. I, I had that when I was 15, you know, playing on a stage and people spitting at you, fights going on, really aggressive atmosphere. Yes. I, I was doing gigs when I was 15 and it was, you know, I come out of that and uh, I started writing my own songs when I was, say, about 18, 17 or 18. Yes. And uh, I was a guitarist in a new wave band called Strange Relations when I was 17. And uh, we were in, like the monochrome set by then, and yeah, you know, like Quirk. I loved Jonathan Richmond; he was my man. You know, I loved him, and uh, started writing my own songs after getting fired from a new wave band for using the flanger too much because I started. I was listening to the Cure, you know. Yes, well, so yes. that kind of fired us into writing my own songs. But we were all in each other's bands. It was like a high. Obviously, it was like that in every community. Yeah. That's... So by 1980, I was a busker. Right. Just being exposed to stray cats. You know, I'd met Roddy Frame. And there's lots of little things happened around about 1981. Right. And we started our own little label kitchen where I can remember Prefab Sprout. I remember gigging with them in 1978. Okay. Yeah. Because, I was because, 17. Yeah. Because. Uh... was about 21. So with Kitchenware Records, was that a label that you actually put together yourself? No, it was um, it was a guy called Keith Armstrong. And he managed the HMV. It was only a little HMV in Newcastle. Right. And he was um, inspired by Alan Horn at uh, Postcard Records. The famous Alan Horn. Yes. He is such an sort of infamous character, isn't he? he well, went... well Keith, Keith and Alan Horn to me are, are linked because Alan, what Alan was brilliant at was yes. he had an artistic awareness. He had really good taste. You know, you, you, you can make somebody rich, but it doesn't mean they have good taste. Yes. And he had an artistic awareness. So if you look at his roster that he picked, it's fantastic. Absolutely. You know, like from Joseph Keir, Orange Juice, to Aztec Camera, to the Bluebells. The jazz and tears. I mean, I know more about postcard than I know about kitchenware. Indeed, and that's a good thing as well. So yes, there you go. Good taste. Money doesn't always buy it. Sorry, I had to reveal my age at the beginning of that interview as well. Anyway, it's got so personal. So 
more music by Martin Stevenson. Another track from Boat to Bolivia. I do know more than just Boat to Bolivia, but it was a, such a sort of moment in the 80s. This is Little Red Bottle. I know, I hate having to fade a song, but anyway, that was a Little Red Bottle from the album Boat to Bolivia. That's Martin Stevenson. This is the third part of my interview with Martin, where we talk about looking for something else. Oh, that's very cryptic, isn't it? And then he was looking for somebody else, and he found us. We were busking. And then he sent my band and Hurrah down in 1982 to record a single each. Yeah. We, we went down at Berry Street Studios, because that's where... Scritty Politi did Sweetest Girl. We just looked at the cover and went, oh, I love this record. I want to go and record there. So we all went down and we went down in a Ford Anglia and a Ford Cortina. Excellent. So it was a really magical little time. And we were just like, we had like a little rehearsal room. We all worked together. You know, I would drive, and drive for Paddy 
Mark McAloon would drive for us. Then we've got the cane gang, we've got Prefab Sprout, um, and uh, it was mainly hurrah, Prefab Sprout, the Dainties and the cane gang. That was the main bands. Because I noticed that you've got um, on the album Boat to Bolivia, you've got three bonus or extra tracks, haven't you, which were recorded in '83. Were these the yes. ones that you were these the ones you're talking about? Yeah, they were probably. If, if I'm not sure what tracks they are. Well, there's they, kind of Roll on Summertime, Trouble Town, and another one which was a bit later, next the following year, March Slow Loving. But that's in March '84. So um, yeah, Roll on Summertime was our first single, and it was. Recorded in 1982, and that was when we went down. What happened was we went down with Hurrah. We were booked into um, Berry Street Studios, so we went down, and Keith said, when there's a coffee break, you can nip in and cut your songs, you know, cut a couple of songs for a single. Yeah. So we sat in a little coffee uh, room, and at about two in the afternoon, he came in, he says, right, you're on, you've got half an hour. And I spent 15 minutes trying to make a shaker with two <laughs> plastic cups. And I went across the road to get some rice Excellent. to make a shaker. That's how, like, unaware I was. <laughs> like, that was probably my big moment. And I wasted 20 minutes making a bloody shaker. And the bass player says, if you cock this up, I'll, I'll plant you. <laughs> he threatened us. <laughs> so I managed to make the shaker. And then we just picked her ass gear up and we just did two first takes and a I remember the first song I did was Roll on Summertime and we just, I remember hitting a little D6 at the end of the song, a little jazz chord at the end of the song. It was like a kind of summer song. And Keith actually ran through and grabbed us and he said, I'm your manager. I'm your manager. I said, what, what's a one of them like? You know, <laughs> I didn't even know what a manager was. I mean, it was magic. It was like a Buddy Holly vibe going on. Indeed. I love that story about making a shaker. It sounded very Blue Peter somehow. Anyway, that was uh, Martin Stevenson talking about um, making Roll On Summertime and those demos. And this is Roll On Summertime. Thank you. 
there you go. That's an extra track. That's on Boat to Bolivia. That came out or was recorded in November 1983 in the track called Roll On Summertime. And that's uh, Martin Stevenson and Dainty's album Boat to Bolivia. As if you didn't know that already. Anyway, look, this is the fourth part of my interview with Martin where we talk about bringing the album Boat to Bolivia all together. But when I come to write Boat to Bolivia, I suddenly got made the front man in the Dainty's because I could work a room. Right. I wasn't really the best singer in the Dainty's. I was a busker and, and I could work a room. Yeah. So I got the front job as the front person. So then I took on the responsibility of writing the songs and it was like I had to learn as I was going. So by the time I would say 85 was when we went in to record it. I'd been writing, say, for... I'd written stuff when I was younger, but I just picked the best of songs that I'd had. I, I wrote Crocodile Cry around about 1982 after touring with Roddy Frame and uh, I had loads of odd things so I just kind of put them together and a lot of my songs came from guitar exercises because I was still a guitarist right way and I would buy a classical guitar book and get the page 10 and think oh fuck this I'll put the kettle on <laughs> and it was that period of putting the kettle on where the art form would happen you know between this the guitar book and the kettle yes it's about four yards <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and then sort of how did the band and you cope after, you know, because there's always a certain amount of pressure that one probably wasn't expecting or prepared for. Well, we just went, we just saw it as a, we had this work ethic that we're probably picked up from our parents and uh, we just wanted a gig. We didn't want to socially climb with music or we're like a little group of people and we had a, I mean, the Ford Transit, the white Ford Transit was the, the the spaceship to get through the 80s yes to get through that dimension because to me the 80s was like all of my heroes were from the 60s and the 80s was like the embodiment of greed and cockiness and uh, uh, competitiveness it was everything I didn't like yeah and I felt like an outsider so to me it was just like get on with what we do and uh, we met some lovely bands. We, we gigged with the Go-Betweens and the Bluebells. We got on great with the Bluebells. Well, who didn't? I thought he was going to mention Orange Juice, and I thought that would have been so useful because I've just lined up an Orange Juice track, actually. But anyway, that's Martin talking about um, Boat to Bolivia getting together, and I have a bit more of that interview coming. But anyway, this is Blue Boy.
There you go, that's Orange Juice and the track called Blue Boy. Now, my next um, fascinating part of the interview with Martin Stevenson, where we talk about navigating his career. Well, I've, I wouldn't say I've navigated, I would say I've avoided it, really, and self-sabotaged and for freedom. Right. Uh, where a business person would say, oh, you're shooting yourself in the foot here, I'd say, exactly. I don't want to end up like you. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I had to say, I'd been on a spiritual program from 11 when I was 15. And I knew, I just, I knew, the more I went into it, and the more it seemed to be developing the way the manager wanted it to be, I felt the more my soul was dying inside. And I used to feel bad because I used to always go into conflict with my manager a lot. And he was trying his best to set things up. If, if I'd done what I was told and I'd been a good boy, I would have my nice big house now and I would have my nice um, celebrity friends. But I've done a lot better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got like really lovely friends. I've got lovely daughters. And I, I live exactly how I wanted to live. You know, I've got a tiny little cottage. I'll, if I want to go busking, I don't have to ask my manager. <laughs> and the the band, because we had a spiritual awareness from day one, we, our biggest currency that we developed was goodwill. And that's just developed over the years, and there's just a connection of people that we can just go out and play. Yes. And we don't have to have PR people or any of that shite around us. Excellent. Well, because so to me, the, them are the successes, you know, and I can get up in the morning. I've just been to Edward Gordon on my scooter, you know, and nobody knows who I am. I sit and have a cup of tea with a guy in a wheelchair there, and yes. he doesn't know who I am. And uh, it's nice, you know, I like that. And do you, I mean, do you still sort of see much of the, the original band that you had um, decades later after sort of, well, nearly 31 years, isn't it? Well, probably. Yeah, the guitarist, uh, it, it's odd because... Um, there was two brothers in the band early on, and the two brothers, as it got, well, I mean, we did stuff right up until the mid '90s. Actually, we were gigged together and stuff, and then they became teachers. I think they started having, well, we all started having kids, and they, they got into teaching, and the, it was a lot harder to take them on the road. Yes. But the original guitarist John Steele, who played on Boat to Bolivia. He did Boat to Bolivia and then he joined the BBC and he worked at the BBC for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But then I teamed up with him again and we've been together now for 10 years and his wife is our drummer. Oh, that's all. It's all. So it's, it's quite all... odd, you know. <laughs> it might be slightly odd, but it's all coming together in one holistic love fest. Anyway, that's the last part of my interview with Martin Stevenson. A big thank you for um, Martin for giving me the time for that interview. And unfortunately, I would have loved to have played more of it because it was fantastic. But anyway, that's the end of the show, which is incredibly sad. I know, but it, uh, this has been David Eastall, the C86 show. And um, as I said, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 show and I'll be there and uh, always happy to receive your messages. Anyway, I'm going to leave you with, yes, you've guessed another track from Martin Stevenson. This isn't actually from Boat to Bolivia, uh, but this is Left left Us to Burn. Um, Have a great week.
flick a spark into their breeze. See her waltzing in a middle-aged hue. See her feet on the bloodlet ground. Stats killing in the poorest fields and left us to burn. Why?